Hello everyone, we are back for another Vampire, the Chicago Chronicles sub-episode. It's been a long time coming, especially after the bloodbath of the Blood Hunt, which you'll get to see later this week when we actually play. <laughs> Before we begin, our regular disclaimer, Vampire the Masquerade is a dark game of personal horror, with descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D. It is not even Call of Cthulhu. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. This is a vampire, a Chicago Chronicles sub-episode. Sub-episodes are separate stories to the main campaign, focusing on the nightly pursuits and agendas with single code remember. While the events that are about to transpire are disconnected from the main arc of the campaign, they may have consequences in the campaign and may even affect the unlives of the entire coterie. Tonight's episode is entitled Horrors in Blue and focuses on Alexander Borgra, played by Tom. Let us begin. Alexander. It has been two months since... The blood hunt that stirred all of Chicago into a frenzy. He was still reeling from the events of this night, even now. That rush of adrenaline, that momentary victory has spurred you with a greater desire to make your mark upon the kindred of Chicago. And so... As we open in November of 2008, as the temperatures start to fall, orange and yellow leaves paper the emptying streets of Chicago as at night the mortals find themselves less likely to venture out into the chilling temperatures less willing to brave the winds that buffet the windy city and its inhabitants. This suits you fine. Unlike the other predators of the night, you do not hunt the kind. So, find yourself tonight stepping out of your haven into a Chicago that is quieter than usual, less bustling than usual, less people to see going about your business, less prying eyes, less scrutinising, just the way you like it. Now, we said earlier that in between the blood hunt and this session, you picked up the first dot of your animalism discipline. Would you like to describe how you have used this power in the time since then and now? Master, their lord, and now 
linked with them permanently. Linked via the mind. Your thoughts are theirs, their thoughts are yours. And you may never be separate again. So you have turned Baskerville and the other two hounds into your familiars. Although you do not share the haven with them, though they spend their days and nights in the Coterie's haven in the south side, as you awaken tonight, you hear the thoughts of Baskerville and the other hounds flooding into your head. The thoughts are always the same. They are hungry, they are questioning, they are asking. When is the next time they get to taste the flesh of your enemies? indeed. So as you step out of your haven tonight, feel the chilly wind on your skin. Notice that the streets are darker darker and quieter than usual. What is the first thing you do? So the first thing you do tonight is, after briefly checking your garden to ensure that your touchstone has been performing his duties, he has been, now that he is back on his feet, he's been attending to your garden during the days, and you find his work satisfactory. So you climb into your vehicle, and you drive all the way out into the suburbs, into the gated communities on the very fringes of Chicago, separated from you by the loop, the maze of glass skyscrapers and lights that the Camarilla spend their nights scheming and plotting in. After a drive of about 40 minutes, you find yourself arriving at Annabelle's estate. A lofty, a lofty double-story manor house that commands the attention of all the other homes in the street, situated right at the very end of a right at the very end of a boulevard contained behind thick iron gates the fence the the iron fence around the community flanked with gothic spires and gargoyles Annabelle certainly has a flair for the dramatic it is here that she spends her day sleep but not most of her nights as you know, Annabelle, being the harpy and the keeper of Elysium, prefers to almost constantly be at parties. However, you still ensure that her manner is prepared for her when she needs it. 
so tonight you have busied yourself tending to your duties. Nothing dramatic tonight, no more blood hunts. Instead, you are doing your work as a gardener, attending to the vast gardens on the grounds of Alan Stanley Greer's estate, Annabelle's mask in mortal society, the wife of Sentinel newspaper publisher John Greer. Although the Sentinel newspaper closed its doors in the late 1990s, Annabelle continues to use this identity, Alan Stanley Greer, to command control over the media of Chicago using them as her mouthpiece. So, I'd like you to begin by making an arts and crafts gardening check, please. Um, with, we'll say, intelligence. Now, do you simply, do you simply attend to Annabelle's gardens and make sure that everything is maintained? Uh, yes, every, every yeah. Arts and crafts check. Uh, your hunger will be the same as it was last session. So, yeah, two months ago. Uh, you can start at roll. Uh, I'll just roll a d4 for you. Hold on. Uh, so, your hunger will start at one. You're correct. successes. I'll ask a question. As you go about your work, do you ever use Annabelle's grounds or gardens to secretly dabble in your own? No, no you do not. Okay. So you make a tour of Mrs. Stanley Greer's estate, assessing the work that the staff has done on maintaining her garden. She has a vast, a vast and beautiful garden. To you it is a place of beauty or someone who has a clear passion for gardening has constructed this place, which means it obviously can't be Annabelle. Um, in fact, you get the impression that Annabelle doesn't even care what happens to her garden. As you notice, um, you notice several portions of it have not been maintained to what you would describe as an acceptable standard. The way certain flowers and other succulents are arranged suggests that someone who knows nothing about them just laid them around haphazardly, but it is built on what would have once been a beautiful work of art, someone's heart and soul, and this shines through and 
so you spend about an hour and a half. In I s- yep. Head over to the shed uh, around the side of the manor where the gardener lives and you rap on the glass and you hear shuffling from inside and he says, Oh, oh sis, is just about to go to bed. Borger! You hear him you hear him shoot up immediately, you hear rustling coming from inside, and then the door shoots open shoots open. The gardener has haphazardly put on a set of denim overalls over his pyjamas. He wipes the sleep out of his face and he says, What is this? Annabelle never... He follows you and you lead him into the garden and spend some time... He says, well, yes... To your eye and to my trained eye, yes, it's overgrown, but uh, Annabelle, I mean, I mean, Miss Stanley Greer, well... He sighs and says, no, no, fine, I'll get right on it. Miss Stanley Greer never mentions anything, but the last thing I wish to do is arouse her anger... Or yours, for that matter. So you... He says, I do. I merely... Well... He looks at you. He looks at you. He's clearly thinking of talking back, but then he thinks twice. And he says, Very well, you have my word, Mr. Borger. I will personally ensure from now on that this garden is in spick-span condition. I will instruct the staff, no expenses to be spared, no more corners Uh. to be cut. He nods and, as if to demonstrate his eagerness, he rushes over to uh, a near... rushes over to a nearby... uh, nearby wooden crate pressed against the side wall of the manor lifts it open, pulls out a set set of shears and gets to work there in the flickering light of the lantern dangling above one of the manor windows, begins to sniff away at a particularly overgrown patch of hedge lining the hedge maze he says, well... Mr. Borgra, once again, I apologise, and in the interests of ensuring that a word of this does not reach Mrs. Stanley Greer, if you were to take a look inside my shed, in my bedside cabinet, you'll find something, an emergency gift from the mistress, but I will let you have it. With all my good intentions, so long as word of this does not reach her ear. Head into his shed, this thing he calls his home. It's nothing more than a 
nothing more than a moth-eaten bed frame and a bed on a single chair propped up against the wall of a corrugated iron shed. You head over to his bedside table, which is nothing more than a milk crate on its side. Lift it up and find a blood bag full of vitae. There is a label on... There is a label stuck to it. And in the garden is a messy handwriting. You read the words... Annabelle, emergency supply, take only when absolutely necessary. There is enough blood in the bag for you to slake at least two points of hunger. Take it and put it in your bag and at least be handy and, well, for once you are not exchanging any blood of your own. As you step out of the shed back onto Annabelle's manor grounds, you feel your phone vibrating in your pocket. Darling, darling, are you there? You answered very quickly. Are you already out to are you already out attending to your duties? Darling, I must have just missed you. I left for a function at the Art Institute about an hour ago. They're, they're opening an exhibition there tonight in my honour. One of the local sculptors, he thinks I'm his muse and he has dedicated his latest work to yours truly. It's such an honour. Only, there is one thing on my mind that has sullied the occasion, says Lauren, her voice. Tell me, Alexander, over the last couple of months, the blood hunt brought you a little bit of influence amongst the kindred of Chicago. You've certainly had a bit more freedom, and so, by any chance, when conversing with anyone, has the term... Hmm, let me think of it, she says... I've heard them described as the chapel, but... Ah, yes. Has the term the chapel of all sense reached your ears? She says, hmm, darling. Well, I suppose you're not much of a party-goer, are you? Although I'd love to change that, darling. Says the Chapel of All Sense. There's some sort of religious group, as far as I can tell. They all dress in blue, rather garish blue robes. They, when they stand out on the, when they, when they're on the streets, proselytizing and handing out pamphlets to try to recruit people. Oh, they stand out a mile away, even at night. That's what's weird about them. Most of the street preachers are gone as soon as the sun goes down, but members of this chapel of the All Sense, why, they flood the street corners even at night, and here's where I come in. Lately, I have noticed that they have been the sponsors at quite a number of, well, otherwise prestigious events. Uh, there was a dinner party about two weeks ago. I was supposed to be the sole... I was supposed to be the sole contributor to that affair. It was supposed to be entirely a power play. 
to help me regain some of my face amongst the other clans, but, well, dinner, catering was graciously provided by the chapel, the venue had been paid for by the chapel, and, well, that's not all. Every single event that I have been to in the last month and a half, there on the list of contributors you will find somebody donating on behalf of this chapel of all sense. I swear, tonight, I fully expect to find them on the list of contributors of this new exhibition down at the Art Institute, and so far, while they have made no moves against me, well... I like my name being the grandest one on those lists. And, darling, I hardly expect you to understand, but I'm paranoid. Somebody's making moves in my scene, and I don't like it. Good, darling. She says, you know, there is no one else I would trust with this... You've done so much for me, darling, ever since you came into my care, ever since I brought you under my wing, you have proven to be invaluable. Oh, my clan, my own child have let me down so many times, but you, my dear Alexander, anything I want done, you have never failed to disappoint, so I leave this in your hands. Then her voice trails off as if there's something that she was on the verge of telling you, but she bit her tongue at the last moment. Do you pick up on this? Do you say anything to her? I'd like you to please make a manipulation subterfuge check. Hold the phone close to your receiver. You can tell that there's something more she wants to say and she's cut herself off and you just sort of growl and you say, If I am so important, quit treating me like your lapdog and spill it all now. You hear her gasp, taken aback momentarily. Then... Surprisingly, you hear her sob. She breaks down, crying. Oh, darling, it's just... She says, stifling some more sobs. Trying to get control of herself, she says. Darling, it's... Well, in the most recent nights, there have been kindred going missing, last seen speaking to the proselytizers, and among them, one of my own childer, Brett Stryker. She utters the name, and you can pick up barely a hint of contempt in the name. And she says, he has embarrassed me in the past, surely, but he is my child, and... If any harm has come upon him, then... Oh, I I would never be able to forgive myself, darling. But I don't wish anyone else to know that he has fallen in like a gullible young boy to some religious nutcase. I 
I've been making excuses in Elysium, trying to explain where he is saying he is working on a magnum opus that he wishes to present next to Elysium, a, a dance unlike any other anyone has ever seen in my honour. But I can only keep up the facade for so long, darling. If he has fallen prey to these people, if their sudden emergence is connected to his disappearance, let alone the disappearances of the other kindred, Darling, I need you to put a stop to it immediately. My reputation depends on it. Yes, yes. I am the primogen, you hear her say, her voice suddenly firmer, more confident. She says, yes, what I say goes, I am Keeper of Elysium, the Harpy. What I say goes, darling, if you do not find what happened by sunrise, I will tell the rest of my brood what has happened. But, well, you know, it would be an awful faux pas, and primogen or not, people have a way of talking behind my back. I'll offer you one more piece of advice, darling, and then I must really attend to this exhibition. I'm the guest of honour, and I must open the exhibition. I have a speech prepared and everything. She says, Rumours are that the Sabbat have returned to Chicago. Whispers amongst the Camarilla, amongst the other Primogen, that the Black Hand may have returned and may be working even now to undermine Prince Jackson. So I will leave you with that. It could be just a bunch of mortals with a new faith willing to get as many people as they can to donate to their coffers. But the fact that they are muscling in on my turf, the fact that my child has disappeared, and the rumours of the Sabbat... Darling, it can't all be a coincidence. Please, be careful, she says. Then you hear a click as she hangs up without another word. Edwards, you do recall that although he's not in the Sabbat now, he did allude to previously having been a member of that sect. You got the impression perhaps he was disgraced or fallen, forced to return to Chicago because he had no other choice, but perhaps he might have enough information that could give you a lead to follow. Alternatively, there is one vampire you know who you are almost certain has her finger on the pulse of whatever the Sabbat is doing, and that is your sire. That is, if you wish to alert your sire as to what Annabelle wants you to do, or 
give her a reason to think that you owe her. I call the sire. I call the black phone out of my pocket. You press the button. Bring it up to your ear. It rings once, twice, three times, and there's a click, and you hear and you hear the lilting voice of Windy Wade on the opposite end, and she simply says, "Oh, this I was not expecting. The wayward child returns. What is it I can do for you, dear Alexander?" Very well, I'm listening. I don't have a pack anymore. As my loath as I am to say it, I'll take any help I can get. What is it you propose? And what would give her, what would abuse her of such notions? Personally, or the Sabbat? You know that they are effectively one and the same. She's the only Sabbat agent in the city. And she seems to catch on, catch that this is what you're implying, and she simply says, Hmm, perhaps, and why not? He is a neonate prince, a pathetic weakling. At least in the time of Loden, Camarilla puppet as he was, the Black Hand had a worthy opponent. At least Loden had the strength to enforce the traditions. Yes, so I will ask you this. If Annabelle wishes for you to investigate these proselytizers in blue, what is your intention? Do my you in intention is to investigate and deal with the appropriate. She's still my master, as it were. However, I understand you have interests too. And 
investigations can go a number of ways. Certainly, it could be important. Certainly, it's been manufactured if necessary. To like you to please make a manipulation subterfuge or manipulation etiquette check, please. There is silence for a few seconds, and then she says, The Chapel of the All Sense is their name, I believe. She says, And I have been looking into them myself. Obviously, I'm limited in what I can do. I simply cannot walk around the city asking questions as you can. Even as a Zemisi, you have luxuries that I do not. I do not have the Toreador Primogen vouching for me blurting out every Elysium how much she adores me and is in love with me. I'm restricted only to making contact very occasionally with low-ranking Anarchs and you know how disorganized their lot is. Getting information at all is a miracle. So I have these two juicy morsels for you, my child. And that is all I have. One, there have been a number of disappearances linked to the group. Kindred, so they say. This is that last bit with a drip of venom. Last seen in the company of these people in blue. Thin bloods that vanished off the streets. Good riddance, I say. As if we need them walking around, hastening the coming of Gehenna even further. The other piece of information that I've managed to dig up is that a number of the proselytizers seem to go about their duties with a vigor that cannot simply be attributed to religious fervor. No, some of the younger Anarchs have witnessed the proselytizers, well, for want of a better word, using disciplines to attract people to them. Presence, dominate, feats of strength with Protean. They are ghouls, my child. Ghouls without a master. I've been curious for some time who they belong to. I have an idea. But, as you know, it would be almost impossible for me to get close. Yes, she says, and I have a request. Annabelle, prob Annabelle wishes for you to put a stop to the interference of this group on her functions. And so I doubt she will care what happens to the person or persons involved. So I simply have this to say. If you uncover that the one behind this group happens to be a kaitiff by the name of Bill Butler. I wish you to slay him. Bring him the final death. Do not stake him. Do not bring him to Annabelle. If he is brought before Prince Jackson, all of my plans will be for naught. 
Is there anything else I may do for you, my child? She says. So, make another one, she says. Do not lack the ability. From what I've been hearing, quite a few of the kindred in Chicago speak your name in frightened whispers. Surely you have the ability to replenish your own supply of blood. Hang up the phone. Step out of the gardener's shed and see the gardener hacking away at the hedge maze still with his shears. And you notice that although he's done, well, he's done a what you told him to do to remove the overgrown parts, he's perhaps gone at it a bit too zealously and now the entire hedge is uneven. He gasps, jumps on the spot, looks over his shoulder and he says, Oh, oh Mr. Borger, you're, you're still here. Uh, did you find the gift to your liking? This he takes a step back and looks from the top of the hedge to the bottom and his eyes go wide and he realises that he's made it uneven and he just says, Oh, oh dear, I've, uh, I've completely scuppered it, haven't I? Very well, I shall have a good night's sleep, I'll return in the morning, I will not, not dwell on any of the very obvious threats that have been made upon me tonight and I will ensure this is all fixed places the shears on the ground and he says I bid you farewell uh, Mr. Borgra have a good night and with that he just scurries back into the shed pulling the door shut behind him so how would you like to go about this one at the Art Institute? Yes. Okay. So you climb into your car, reverse down the long winding driveway that leads to Annabelle's Manor and drive out of the gated community and you see in your rearview mirror the wrought iron gate slowly clamp shut behind you, the gargoyles on the flanking pillars silently watching you as you speed away. You're gonna just are you gonna take the most direct route there or are you just leisurely driving through downtown Chicago, slowly going towards the party but trying to, you know, take in as many popular sites as you can. Very well. I would like you Please make an intelligence investigation check. One success. You decide not to take the main route towards the Art Institute. Once you reach downtown, you decide to take a route that will lead you pretty much through the entirety of the loop looping all around the major 
social hot spots before ending at the sh ending at the Chicago Institute of Art, right on the shore of Lake Michigan. And this proves to be fruitful. Your first stop, the Succubus Club, is as you expected. You see kindred and kind alike lined up out the front as gothic rock music pounds from inside the establishment. Look around, you see no one wearing blue coats here. And so you move on. The next couple of nightclubs you check are much the same. And you begin to wonder if perhaps Annabelle sent you on a wild goose chase. Until you come to a... Until you come to an establishment about two blocks away from the edge of the loop from the Lake Michigan waterfront. Quite close to the Institute of Art where Annabelle's party is to take place tonight. This establishment is, well, for want of a better term, it's a hipster bar. It's not the type of place you would have frequented when you were living, and it is not the type of place that most kindred would hunt, unless, unless for whatever reason they are shunned from places like the Succubus Club. It's essentially a stairwell in an alleyway between two larger buildings of a bouncer standing at the front, a doorway at the very bottom of the stairwell, and the only hint here that this is any kind of social establishment being a brick wall covered in half-destroyed posters advertising all sorts of underground local acts. There are a couple of kindred gathered out the front, lined up, trying to wait, waiting for their turn to be seen by the bouncer and went through. Most of them dressed in the stereotypical garb of Marxist punks, leather jackets, leather knee pads, spiked hair, chains. And among them, standing a short distance from the group of punks and the bouncer, is a single man wearing a flowing blue robe. And as the punks walk past him to get to the entrance of the establishment, he holds out what appears to be a pamphlet to them. You watch, and you see the first couple of punks just look at the... Look at the... Look at the uh, pamphlet that is offered. Uh, briskly shake their heads and... Continue walking. After this, you see the man, with his back still turned to your car raise his left hand, place it in the air as if making a grand religious gesture and then beckoning for everyone to gather around him and surprisingly they do, even the bouncer of the establishment. He walks up, he walks away from the top of the stone staircase, leaving his post and soon all of the gathered punks and the bouncer are gathered in a circle around the blue robed man saying nothing, and then you simply watch as he reaches into his robe, pulls out the stack of pamphlets once again, and begins to hand them out. This time, his offerings not being ignored.
Yep. Slow your car down in front of the mouth of the alleyway. Let the engine idle and then wind down the window. At first, the man does not notice you. Wait, he continues handing out pamphlets to the people gathered around him. Do you wish to get his attention or do you simply wait? He hands out six more pamphlets and each time one is taken, the person nods in silent thank you and then turns around, walks away and opens the pamphlet immediately engrossed in it. After he's handed them all around, seemingly aware that you were present, the man turns, he sees your car parked there, he sees the window rolled down, he sees you sitting there in the driver's seat. He smiles, wordlessly walks towards you and offers you one of the pamphlets. Are you mesmerising him? Very well. I would like you to please make for me. Uh, make a rouse check, please. And then roll your manipulation dominate. Four successes to his three successes. As soon as he locks eyes with you, you see him make an almost what seems to be an instinctual response to look away, but you grab tighten your grip on his wrist, look into his eyes, and bark the order, enter. He silently nods, still holding out the pamphlet. He makes his way around to the passenger side door, pulls it open, and clambers into your car proffers the pamphlet that he's holding in his hand. The man looks at you and he says, Considering what you just did to me, you have the blood of the masters. And he says this with a flourish, smiling. You look at him. His skin is pale, his head shaven. There are no markings on his skin, but there you see it in his eyes. That bloodshot, junky look. This is someone who is... This is someone who has recently had their first taste of Kindred Vitae and is still riding the high. You see his gaze drift towards the door, and he sees... Do you have it locked, or...? You press the button, click! The button, the, the locks on all the doors activate and he is trapped. He looks back to you and he says... Very well. Shall I make the pitch? Or have you already decided you're going to join? He says, might I add, your blood seems a tad stronger than that of the most recent converts. He says, well, if you sort me out, then surely you must have some idea who we are and what we stand for. Uh, 
he laughs nervously and he says, Well, uh, we are the Chapel of All Sense, and we believe that all beings are subject to the whims of God. So far, not too different to most religions, I know, but here is the thing. We have been gifted with irrefutable proof that God exists and that as the end times draw nearer, it is the faithful of God who will be saved. And so those who join us are pledging their lives to the service of God, pledge their souls to the service of God, and in return, God will bless them with holy power, a purpose in this chaotic world, and protection when the time comes when God's servants awaken beneath the waters and return to once again walk the earth. He says, we meet all over the city. Most of the new recruits, uh, most of the new recruits are invited to our various social functions where they may proselytize amongst each other and prove their worthiness to the, to the more senior members of the group. That is what you'll have to do if you wish to be admitted into the inner circles. I simply cannot take you to our church, as it were. He says, but, yes, we do have a church, as it is, and it is there where the messenger of God himself speaks to us and tells us God's will. And if you, if you join us, become an acolyte, and come to our social functions, absorb the wisdom you were taught there, then with time... Perhaps you will be considered worthy to be judged by the servant of God. God's first child, he smiles. So you know the location of the church? He says, well, yes, uh, I'm a recruiter. Uh, I'm a recruiter. I I'm important enough. Yeah, yes, I certainly am. <laughs> I was gifted with the powers of God after all. No. Yes, but... Please make a manipulation intimidation with your specialty uh, check. smiling nervously, looking from left to right. You see him glance at the door, the button slid into the plastic, and there's no way he can get it out. And he looks back at you and 
as the lights outside begin to go past faster and faster, turning into a blur. He says, Okay, you are one of the masters that we have established. That means you can uh, skip a couple of rungs. You don't start at the very bottom, but... I'll be the judge of whether you are worthy myself. Please, please, demonstrate your power of the blood. And if I deem it worthy, I will take you to speak to God's first son tonight. He looks at you, and still smiling, trying his best to maintain his composure. His bottom lip trembles. Uh, his bottom lip trembles, and you see his right hand move to his chest, grab the hem of his robe, and clutch it as if it's some sort of talisman that is going to protect him from a demon. And then he simply says, Well, uh, he says, Let us make a deal. You show me what the blood can do, and I will. I would like you to please make a composure plus intelligence check for me, please. Yeah, to his four successes. So, as the, you continue to speed up the car, as the buildings and vehicles outside have just turned into a blur, a, a line of light that wraps around the vehicle, you see him narrow his eyes and speak to you in this pleading voice and lean in closer, and you realise that he's trying to use presence on you. But you've been around, he has no idea who he's talking to, he has no idea that you are the personal assistant of the Toreador Primogen, and his foolish attempt does nothing to sway you. And he realises this, he realises as you hold your hands on the wheel, just staring forward with an expressionless look on your face, and he says, Okay, okay, you win. I... Uh, no one has ever been able to resist the Lord's beckoning before. That proves you are worthy. Please, 
Please, for the love of God, slow down the car, and I will take you to the church. This car slowly slows down as the odometer continues the speedometer creeps down to a more reasonable level. Glad we are have an understanding. This is very well. The chapel meets at an old the chapel meets at an old church on the edge of the south side. About as far as you can get from downtown without really leaving it. When when our foremost returned, Father Penitent, he purchased it, refurbished it, and now, well, you would never see it and think it was abandoned only a month ago. He begins reciting directions, causing you to steer onto the overpass that leads through downtown towards Southside. sits there in the passenger side watching you write them down and he says okay uh why are you writing them down I, I was going to take you to the church and I was going to introduce you to Father Penitent personally <laughs> he, he raises both hands he says oh believe me you have demonstrated exactly why that would be a bad idea in fact, if I can make another show of good faith to you, if I could tell you something about the chapel, go ahead and ask, and I will freely give it to you, a sign of good faith that... He looks at you and says, entrances and exits, I... He says... Main door at the front, staff door in the back, priest's quarters up on the second floor. I suppose you could climb in through the window, but uh, I haven't seen not even any of the masters with the ability to climb up that high. Just now, wait a moment. You are one of the masters. He says, and you are one if of. If you question me again, one way or another, it'll be the last question you ask. He looks away and he says, Forgive me, please accept my apologies. It is not my place to question the wisdom of God or his children. No, Very well, he says. Direct me there. Very well, he says. Uh, Keep going down the overpass. Overpass 90. I will tell you when to get off. And then he silently stares, looking out the window, watching the other cars on the overpass go by, watching as the skyline of Chicago's downtown draws further and further away. And you start to see the urban wasteland of the south side splay out underneath the overpass. Okay, okay, turn off next right here. 
says the man in blue. He says, when, you, when you're off, head down the street, take the left at the end, and then straight on ahead, and you will see the Master's Church. You won't be able to miss it. He gestures out the window. He says, in this urban blight, our church is the only jewel that shines in the night. Follow his directions. As you follow his directions, you notice he continues pressing his face against the window, occasionally laughing nervously as he directs you onwards. Turn here! No, no, actually, no, not here. Keep going. Next right. Yes, no, sorry, I was mistaken. It's the next right. It's not this one. And he continues pressing his win his face against the window as if looking, waiting. It's almost as if he's not entirely sure where he's going. You may make a wits insight check. successes. You just see him pressing his face against the window and laughing nervously. It's almost as if he doesn't quite know where he's going, despite his insistence that he knows where the chapel is. And so you continue following his directions. Finally he says, okay, turn here and to the end of the street and then we're here. Stop. And sure enough, you come to the end of the road. But there is no chapel here. He has led you along a street, uh, along a court that ends right at the edge of a vast and empty concrete block. Right at the very end of it, a shuttered, boarded up factory and running overhead disused L train tracks. The street lights are dim. The entire lot is shrouded in shadow. He says, it's just beyond that lot. You'll have to go on foot, I'm afraid. They don't... We haven't had the chance to repair the roads. Fine, fine, he says. Raises his hands, reaches for the door to the car. Unlock it, hear the click. Pushes the door open. Yep. He just looks at you with a nervous look on his face. He chuckles and says, oh, of course, I, I wouldn't dream of it. And then he steps out of the car, walks to the front of the car and stands on the very edge of the empty lot. And then he leans forward, squinting as if trying to detect something in the darkness. What do you do? Turn on the high beams. Please make a wits awareness check. Two successes. The high beams turn on, immediately washing away the darkness underneath the disused owl train tracks. And there you see them standing all in a line. Three men 
wearing blue robes, clutched in their right hands, a wooden stake each. And as soon as they see the high beams turn on, one of them points at your car, shouts something, and then all three of them begin to sprint towards where you're parked. Yeah. So the guy in front of you, he's got his back turned to you and he he sees when he sees them running, he looks over his shoulder and that's just in time to hear the rev of your engine. Vroom! He has no time to dodge as you barrel forwards and you just hear him scream, ah thump as he flies over your vehicle, landing in a crumpled heap in your windscreen, in your rear view mirror, and then the three men raising their stakes scramble to dodge. Please make a dex drive check. Burn another willpower, go ahead. Four successes, okay. So two of them got three successes, the third got seven. So one of them immediately leaps out of the way, somersaulting across the concrete and landing pressed up against a dumpster. He presses his back against the dumpster and just watches as you barrel forwards, slamming into the two other men, sending them flying, dealing three points of aggravated damage to each of them. They roll, thumping across your windscreen, over your roof, and land in a crumpled heap behind you. Smoke begins to billow from under the of your car. The engine's still revving. You see the two men, you see the three men you ran over, still alive, slowly crawling, trying to climb to their feet, but obviously in no condition to do so, while the fourth man, still pressed up against the dumpster, reaches into his coat and pulls out a crucifix. Holding the stake in one hand and the crucifix in other, he stands up and walks into the path of your car. What do you do? You're gonna reverse. The man raises the crucifix, opens his mouth to bark a command, and then you just grab the gear stick, shove it in reverse, and begin reversing. And you see the look on the triumphant look on the man's face immediately change to one of shock as you hear three thumps, thump, 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 and you continue reversing and see that you've left the three men lying deathly still with a tire track of blood leading from one of their heads to your vehicle. Also, please add a stain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will get one. Ugh. So, how does he... You just see... You just see the man's jaw gape open in shock, and all he does is take a step forward, raising the crucifix even higher. And he barks out a command. Vampire, get out of the car! Surrender! The power of the Lord compels you! Do not resist! 
let us see. Let us see. I would like you to, first of all, please make a willpower check. One success. You feel the beast inside you welling up and suddenly you feel your body gripped in fear and terror and your beast begins to roar, get away, get away, instinctively, making you want to instinctively draw away from this man, get as far away as you can, pushing you to the edge of a terror frenzy, but not quite over the edge. Yeah. Rolled to avoid the terror frenzy, but you are still impaired. What would you like to do? You have, yes. This man has not seen you in the car. Alright. I would like you to please make a... Uh, composure and let, let us say, make composure check one okay he's going to roll his true faith to see how he goes stop barks the man and you slam your foot on the pedal the car starts to reverse but then the man runs forward holding the crucifix above his head and you see a radiant light emanates from it and a voice booms in your head compelling you ordering you to stop your beast roars and it's almost as if it flees you and you find yourself rooted to the spot you try to slam your foot on the pedal but it's as if your body does not wish to obey Smiling, the man slowly walks towards your car, passing by his fallen comrades. Quickly quickly glancing at them. And then he looks when to... he breaks my his vision, do I have a chance Yes, you do. You see him momentarily look to his side towards his fallen brethren, and in this split second he lowers the crucifix slightly. Make a willpower check, please. Yes. One success. Your beast is roaring. It's telling you to escape, to not trifle with this man, and... You feel feeling come into your body. You will yourself to grab control of your extremities. And you have just a split second to act before the man looks away from his comrades and continues walking towards you, raising the crucifix once again. Is he directly in front of you? He is directly in front of you now. Plan him. Alright, go ahead, please make a dex drive check. Yep, and he's gonna he's gonna roll with a penalty die because you've surprised him. He thought that he had you under his thrall. Five successes. 
five successes to his four. Well done. You see him raise the crucifix and you take this chance. Willing your body to comply, you slam your foot down on the pedal, rousing your blood, forcing it to pump through your veins. Your engine roars to life. The smile melts off the man's face as he scrambles to leap out of the way, but he is too late. Thump! Your car rams into him, dealing three points of aggravated damage. He rolls over your bonnet across the roof and lands behind your car about a metre away from his friends, dropping the crucifix which clatters uselessly to the ground in front of him. Kill the engine, take it and open the door of the car and start walking towards him. As you walk towards him, I'd like you to make a willpower check, please. successes to the four he rolled earlier. As you walk towards him, you see the crucifix lying on the concrete, and even though he's not holding it, it still seems to glow white hot with brilliant light, fading, but still just present enough so that as you draw closer and closer to him, you feel the light stinging on your skin and take one point of aggravated damage. You hiss as you see the welt appear on your skin, and then the last of the light fades from the crucifix and it becomes dormant once again. The man clutching his side sees you coming, and gritting his teeth tries desperately to crawl away. He cannot climb to his feet. It looks as if his legs and ribs are severely broken. Blood is gushing out of various portions of his body, painting his blue robes bright crimson. Stay away from me, vampire! He he, he groans through gritted teeth, trying to pull himself away further and further across the concrete. I reach down, I grab him by the neck, I pull up to my face, looking in the eye and goes, tell me your name. Ethan, he spits out. Father Ethan. up at you. He says, you see, you see a look of recognition flood into his eyes, but he groans. He says, the only one above me is Father Penitent. He is the one who tasked me with bringing in vampires so that our supply of blood does not run dry. I know nothing of this Bill Butler. winces, but it looks as if he's been brainwashed with, brainwashed with a dogged determination that he would rather die than betray his order. So please make a manipulation intimidation check. He is going to make a resolve check. 
one success to his three successes. You hear him wince in pain. He just looks up at you and he says, I, I will go to the grave rather than tell you, vampire. When the Lady of the Lake returns, your nights are numbered. Stoically enduring the pain. Then he looks up at you and he says, Father Penitent is who you are looking for. Release me, he says, and I I will. holding him in your hands, use your other hand to pat down his robe, and there, in roughly where his waist would be, you feel a bulge on his right side. Reach into the robe, pull out the bulge, and you find a small leather satchel. Open it. Inside, you find a necklace of rosary beads, a small glass vial containing what you instantly recognise as kindred vitae, and a scrap of paper. On the paper is listed an address, and then right underneath, in quotations, in what could only be the man's handwriting, the Dark Mother favours us. Pat him down once again, and you find nothing, though you look toward, look beyond him to where the other men are crumpled, and you see a old 90s style mobile phone, about the half the size of a brick just lying on the concrete. He must have dropped it in his attempt to scramble out of the way of your car. I drop him and I go pick it up. Is it password protected at all? It is not. You pick it up, press the button, the screen flashes on and there in black and white monochromatic text the time, the name of the, pro- the the name of the service provider pop on, and what appears to be a text message unread on the screen. 
press the button, it pops up. It simply read. It simply reads. Do you have fresh blood? Our new, our new guest wishes for more. Plus, we have more recruit. We have more recruiters ready to go. We also need offerings for the Lady of the Lake. There is no signature, and the phone doesn't say who it's from, it simply displays a number. Behind you, you still hear the man groaning on the floor. He's in no condition to move, but he's still holding on to life. I grab the phone, I punch in a text into it. Says fresh blood acquired meat. I'm gonna say puff, so I can get to the address that's written on the piece of paper half an hour before I say. Before you wish to meet them. Yep. So you send a text. It reads, "Fresh blood acquired. Proved to be tougher than we thought. Have a couple of loose ends we need to clean up. Meet in an hour." I send that. Send that. A few seconds later, the phone beeps, and it simply says, "The first son of God is proud of you." And he eagerly awaits fresh blood. I would take the phone and stack it in half. Yep. Throw it across the street. Yep. Behind you, the man winces. You look around. He's trying to pull his pathetic form across the concrete, trying to reach the crucifix, but he's moving at such a slow pace that even though it is only slightly more than a metre away from him, it would take him at least another five to ten minutes to pull himself that far. For every inch he moves forwards, he leaves a... He leaves a sick red trail of blood on the concrete behind him. Reach down, you pick it up, and now that it's no longer in his hands, it appears to be nothing more than a hunk of wood, cold to the touch. looks of it, yes. You briefly search the other three men just to be sure and none of them have any phones or any identifying materials on them. From what you are able to piece together it seems that this was a pre-arranged upon location for recruiters to bring new blood so that they might be ambushed here. Yep. 
rev your engine, you reverse off the lot, back onto the road, and before you turn around, you catch one last glimpse of him in your headlights, scrambling, pulling himself across the car, across the concrete, like a deformed human snail leaving a trail of blood. He opens his mouth to shout something, you don't hear what it is, as you rev the engine and speed away, leaving him to be swallowed by the darkness. Where are you going? To the pre-arranged location. Okay. To the address. How are you, are you going to... Are you going to drive straight to it, or are you going to drive to about a block away, get out, and carry on on foot? Yep. So you drive a couple. Oh, and on the way, I'll call Annabelle. Yep. So as you drive, you grab your phone, dial the number, rings through, and then the first thing you hear is a din of voices and someone in the background saying, "That's just a toilet seat, Annabelle, dear." And Annabelle says, "No, darling, that is a modern work of art." And then her voice perks up and she says, "Darling, Alexander, how goes the hunt?" She says, well, we have some Philistines here who cannot appreciate modern art, but it is going as well as I hoped for. Everyone is here, no one has said anything to belittle me, and thankfully questions about my child have been at a minimum. She says, and I am quite happy to say that the Chapel of All Sense did not appear on tonight's list of contributors, darling. She says, well, say what you will about, say what you will about uh, the Camarilla's strict, uh, strict embracing requirements. I have to say, some of the neonates who have been Embraced into my clan, know nothing about modern art. A toilet seat indeed. Really, that is a sculpture. It is an embodiment of late stage capitalism and a simultaneous critique of it, inspired by moi. Don't you worry, darling, she says. At the end of tonight, that poor neonate will find that toilet seat wrapped around his neck as he's staked and left on a building. She says, tell me, have you made any progress on your investigation of this chapel of the all sense? Have you turned up any hide or hair of my child? An ambush, darling. They stand on street corners and hand out pamphlets. What other sort of ambush could they possibly 
she says, Very well. Very well, darling, she says. We'll have some of my people primed and that's the ready. One more thing before I go. You've spoken of an ambush and that has confirmed my fears. This is not just a group of religious nutcases. If indeed there is a kindred behind this, I wish for them to be staked and brought to me. I will present them to the prince and show the prince that Toreador though I am, Primogen I still be, and that I am capable of handling my problems. You drive to the location, so you're just going to drive up to it, park on the other side, the, across the street from it and examine it? Okay. So the location that you wrote down is only a couple of blocks from the ambush point. And as you approach it, you see that this is the site that the recruiter was describing. And a street of worn down, abandoned townhouses, shuttered businesses. There stands this church that, if you hadn't been told, you wouldn't know was abandoned only a month ago. Somebody has poured significant amounts of money into getting it restored. The marble is polished and bright, the windows freshly painted, glimmering in the light of your headlights. Sure. I'll kill the headlights, so I'll go around the back of the building looking for the employees. Yep. So you climb out of your car, shut the door behind you, and... I'd like you to make a wits awareness check first of all. As you cross the road, you notice that the grounds around the church appear to be empty. You see no signs of life. And furthermore, you see no lights on within the building. around the back and sure enough as described you find a slightly rusted steel door at the top of a flight of four stone stairs there's a faded sign reading staff only attached to the door and a flimsy looking padlock threaded through a loop just above the door handle Investigation check, please. Walk up to the door, press your body against it, try to peer through the crack. You grab the doorknob and pull it. You realise the door is not actually locked or bolted. Rather, it is the padlock alone preventing it from opening. If you were to hazard a guess, you would say that whatever deadbolt once existed on the other side is broken away with age and they haven't had a chance to repair it yet. And so they've just casually 
spotted this padlock in as a means to prevent just anyone turning up and walk wandering in. slowly slides open. You hear no sounds of life coming from inside. If somebody heard your intrusion, they are making no effort to investigate. Step over the threshold and find yourself standing in a dusty, disused kitchen. The appliances are all the appliances are all rusty, beyond repair. The only signs at all that the room has been used are a couple of specks of blood that you spot on the dusty tiles. As if blood was recently spilled here. Yep. Please make a deck stealth check for me. Uh, yes you do. Four successes to three successes that I rolled. So you move beyond the kitchen and you find yourself in a central hallway. To the right, directly in front of you, is a wooden staircase that leads up to the second floor where you were told the priest's quarters were. And a sign in front of it faded. There is a message simply reading, Clergy only. A bit further down the hallway, there is a door to the left with a sign attached to it simply reading office. And at the very end is an open archway that leads out into the chapel proper. And without even stepping that far, you can peer beyond the threshold and see that the chapel is immaculately maintained. The floors have been polished. The walls have been recently painted, new pews have been put into place, 
and the area just beyond the threshold is illuminated with a flickering light. I'd like you to make a... Uh, as you approach the door on the left, coming from the other side of it, you hear two sounds. First, the sound of scraping metal, and then secondly, whispering voices. You catch snippets of what they're saying. It's gotta be a way out of here. They sleep during the day. They sleep during the day. Next time the sun comes up, that's our chance. We have to... We have to find a way to break these bars and get out of here. Go towards that sound and come face to face with the office door. Grabbing the door, you find it to be unlocked. Pause and listen. You hear the same scraping metallic sounds, more voices, and someone saying, If I could just get... If I could just get the right resonance, then I would be able to use my alchemy. I could break the door open. I could melt the lock, but... Maybe if there was a way to trick them into feeding us what we need, but... The voice trails off. So you head, you leave the door behind, head back down the hallway, and head up the staircase to the clergy's quarters. You push the door open, and you find what was once the priest's bedroom. It has now been refurbished as a very obvious haven for a kindred. Where the bed used to be, uh, there is a wooden coffin lined with velvet and pillows. Around it, uh, around it is, around it is a series of, series of stacks of books, each stacked about chest high. Uh, no particular organisation to them, they're just scattered around the room in front of the coffin and around it, and at the very back of the room, beyond the coffin, you see what you see a run-down wooden desk. Uh, somebody has laid a velvet carpet over it and turned it into a sort of makeshift shrine. There are some holy books lying on it, still open. Some dead candle wicks. And on the wall above it, uh, a black and white ink drawing of what appears to be a woman with long flowing back hair. Behind her you see a luscious garden and seemingly nude she clutches a muscled shirtless man to her breast, her the hand not holding his body stroking his hair lovingly. So, yeah, a, 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 like a, a sketch. above the makeshift shrine. You will not disturb this further. As you go back to 
as you go to leave, I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. As you turn to leave, you notice something unusual. In addition to the coffin that is obviously being used as somebody's nest during the day, you see a pile of blankets and pillows arranged in a arranged in makeshift nest just beside the coffin scattered across the floor it looks as if there has recently been a second occupant of this haven who's been sleeping on the floor One of the worst insults you could inflict upon another kindred is to rummage through their haven uninvited, but... I will... Leave for the moment. Yep. towards the staff entrance, yep. As you close the door to the haven behind you, creep back down the staircase. No sooner do you place your foot on the floorboards in the hallway, do you hear a sound coming from the chapel from the front of the church? scraping sound. At first you don't know what it is, but then you quickly identify it as the sound of somebody placing a needle on a record. Hear scratchy static emanating from the chapel area, and then the sounds of the clear de lune begin to emanate down the hallway. Right, make a stealth deck stealth check, same bonuses as before. Six, six successes to three successes. Hugging the wall, 
sticking to the shadows, you creep closer and closer to the threshold of the chapel. Claire Deline continues to play. And there, as you reach the threshold and peek your head over it, you see a shirtless man dressed only in tight denim jeans, his chest well-oiled, muscled, long brown hair coming past his shoulders, almost reaching his waist. And as the Claire de Lune plays with his back turned to you, he silently, slowly dances in the middle of the pews. You cannot tell from here Yeah. So you return, duck back down the hallway, return to the door to the office. And sure enough, you hear them whispering on the other side, inspiring, planning an escape. You let yourself in immediately. As soon as you grab the door, you push it open with a sudden creak. The hushed voices stop. The light is dim, everything is shrouded in darkness, and after a few seconds your eyes adjust. What used to be an office has become an empty room, half of it, uh, half of it fenced off by a row of thick iron bars turned into a makeshift prison cell, and behind the bars you see four people, some of them sitting, some of them standing, all of them turning and looking towards you. Their eyes glimmer in the darkness, marking them as kindred. You raise your finger to your mouth. They say nothing. There is silence for a moment, and then one of them shuffles forwards, a woman based on the frame of her body. And she says, And who are you? You are not one of them? She says, We... We were anarchs. We were kidnapped, set upon. Men in blue handing out pamphlets, and when we came closer to see what the deal was, the next thing we knew we were set upon, staked, brought here. They look at each other, and then the woman shakes her head and says, The leader? No, he is new like us, but he is different somehow. He hasn't been confined to captivity. He has willingly given his blood and he seems to believe. They whisper amongst each other and then one of the men says he calls himself the first son of God.
sit there in silence with the thick bloods. About 15 seconds later, your phone vibrates. Pull it up, and Annabelle has sent you a photograph of her child, Brett Stryker. Well oiled olive skin, the well chiselled face and body of a Greek bodybuilder. Long brown reddish hair going past his shoulders and nearly to his waist. Bloods look at each other and the woman steps forwards, pressing herself against the bars, and she says, He calls himself Father Penitent, but one of the priests I heard in conversation called spoke to him under the name Bill. And where is he now? He says he is gone. He says he had some things to prepare before the new blood is brought in. Every time someone is captured, he prepares a ceremony. So that when the new blood are brought into the chapel, when the stake is removed, they will be face to face with Father Penitent. And he subjects them to this ritual. It's through the ritual that he takes the blood. And he says that... He is branding them with the mark of the Dark Mother. She motions for you to come closer. Move closer and you see the thin blood woman lift up one of her sleeves and there on her right shoulder you see almost like a cattle brand, a crescent moon stamped into her flesh. She says, are you with the Anarchs? Camarilla wouldn't give a damn about us. Just turn around, shut the door behind you, and as soon as it's shut, you hear them whispering amongst themselves again. Who is that? Is he one of them? No, I don't trust him. You see how shifty he looks? Oh, no, 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 he's just like them. Don't believe a thing he says. We're going to get out of here our own accord. You just wait and see. Shut the staff entrance behind you and then climb down the stairs. You see a pile of old wooden pallets and an oil drum. Using your newfound strength, drag them up the stairs and stack them up in front of the door. It doesn't entirely block it, but it would take a fairly awesome feat of strength for someone to burst through. Across the road, climb into your car as you rev the engine as the lights turn on. You see a pair of headlights turning the corner at the end of the street and driving towards you. Still more, yep. Oh, 
rev the engine, set off down the street. The other car passes you. A gold-trimmed Cadillac. And you see a crescent moon dangling beyond the windscreen. It passes you, and you watch in your rearview mirror as it turns into the lot in front of the church. You round the corner into the next street and drive several more blocks until you see the flickering neon sign ahead of an Endron police of an Endron petrol station. Yep. You park your car in the service stations bay, grab jerry cans out of your boot, fill them with gas, then you head inside, gather up all of the items that you need, head over to where the shopkeeper is lazily lazily thumbing through a magazine called PC Power User, and as you place the money on the counter, he barely even looks up to acknowledge you for it and you leave, slowly, carefully placing all of the objects in the back seat of your car. What do you do next? I drive back to the thing and wait until the time I text you. Yep. You drive back to the church, parking your car once again across the street. Kill your engine, kill the lights, and then hold your phone and wait another 20 minutes until the clock ticks over to... 2am, the agreed upon meeting time. I go to the front of the church and I use my own hand and father to slide between Yep. So you're just going to, you're just going to get out, walk up the thing, walk in through the front entrance and bar it behind you? No, no, I'll go to bar it. I'll bar it without entering. Yes. Okay. As you climb out of your car... I'm going to, when I park, I'm going to park a couple of streets away. Yeah, park a couple of streets away. So spend a few minutes... Uh, making sure you have everything. You grab the long-handled spanner, leave your car behind, and spend the next ten minutes walking to the church. When you arrive, you see the stained glass windows lit up, lights are on in the chapel, and you can hear the Claire de Lune playing louder now. The ritual has been prepared. You approach the main entrance, and as you do so... I'm going to make a... Okay, make a deck stealth check, please. Against Kindred, yes. Three successes to five successes. Holding your spanner in one hand, you begin to creep across the lot. You're about a foot away from the door when you hear footsteps behind you. You turn around and see 
none other than Brett Stryker, the child of Annabelle, rounding the corner of the church towards you, a smile on his face. He sees you and he says, Ah, what a feeling she would send someone sooner or later. He looks at you and he smiles and he says, No. He says, you are going to enter the chapel, present yourself to Father Penitent, and, you know, some Zemisi blood might be a nice change of pace. Please make a manipulation, intimidation, veiled threats check. We're going to counter it with his check. This is social combat that has been joined. Six successes. Let me see for his. That is going to be mighty, so that is going to be seven dice for him. That is three successes. How many did you get? Six. You inflict three points of superficial willpower damage to him. You hear him, you hear him visibly wince as he recoils back and he looks at you and a look of utter disgust on your face and says, Yes, her favourite. Exactly. He breathes deeply. He says, Oh, Annabelle, do you have any idea... What she will do when she's sick of you. Everyone was her favourite. I used to be her favourite. Before me, it was Sophia. Sophia disappointed her once. The clan did not take. I was next. I was embraced despite them all. I got to be the favourite. For a time. Until she found someone else.
just looks at you, brushes lock of hair out of his face and smiles and says, I seek nothing more than to break my bond with that bitch. All of the things I did for her, all of the love I have given her, never has it been reciprocated. In that church behind me is someone who seeks to bring down the Camarilla and he worships something greater than all of us. The one who sleeps within Lake Michigan. And I am you and I will use him and his patron as my tool to crush Annabelle's influence to dust, so that I, the most eminent of her child, will become the Toriador Primogen, and no more shall mock me. No more shall the Toreador snicker and give me sidelong glances knowing that I am just another of Annabelle's old favourites, relegated to obscurity. My word will be law and they will all worship me. You will help me. If you do not, you are against me. I'd like you to please make a composure plus intelligence check as he is using his awe on you. Five successes to his seven successes. He deals two points of superficial willpower damage to you. to make a manipulation subterfuge check, please. No, because you're not threatening him. For uh, seven successes to his six successes, you inflict one point of superficial willpower damage to him. He looks at you and he says, I fight because... Annabelle replaced me with a Zemisi. You are not even a Toreador. You are the lowest of all the clans, and yet to her, you are the world. You see his right hand slide down his body to his waist, and there you see a steel sabre threaded through the side of his jeans. He looks at you and <laughs> would like you to please make another 
manipulation subterfuge check. And he is going to resist it. He's going to add his presence to this roll. Okay, so Brett is going to rouse the blood to add an... You can rouse the blood if you like. Yep. It's 11 successes, okay. Well, he has a total of 12 dice in his pool. Let's see how he goes. Okay, that's one six, That's one critical, two critical. So two criticals plus nine would be... 13, so he beats you by one. He beats you by one and inflicts one point of superficial willpower damage upon one. You're down to one. He says, Oh, I plan to break the bond. First, by destroying her precious plaything. Secondly, by using my new toy. He gestures towards the church behind him. To undermine her at my every whim. And... Whatever thing he has going with the thin bloods, the offerings he's making to his thing in the lake. If there truly is something powerful there, all the more reason for me to use him for my purposes. About five minutes. Ah, have you summoned your... Ah, sending... Yes, indeed she is. About five minutes. Um, you could expect... If you can stall him for about another ten minutes or so, then you can expect backup to arrive. Places his hand on the hilt of his sword. You hear a metallic swing as he extracts it. He raises it. And he says, If you are not going to enter the church, I shall dispatch you here and now... And continue. Yep. What can I roll to see if I can know anything about him? About him. About, so you can roll an intelligence etiquette check. Intelligence etiquette? Two successes. You haven't spent a lot of time in Elysium, but you hear all about it through Annabelle, and this is one of her childer. Please, I will tell you any two facts you wish to know about Brent Stryker. You know that he considers chess to be something beneath him. He considers anything other than dance and combat to be unworthy of his talents. He considers chess to be a boorish game for boars who cannot... The, the type of people who would never be invited to the types of parties that he once enjoyed as Annabelle's favourite. One other fact you may know about him. What would you like to know? I would like to know. 
know his generation to be seventh. You know that he is the most recent of Annabelle's childer, the last one embraced. You know his approximate date of embrace to be sometime in the 1980s. life he was famous for two pursuits being a bodybuilder and being a ballet dancer two very opposite things but somehow he mastered both perhaps it was this duality that led Annabelle to him Okay, so you know that despite being Annabelle's child, he doesn't command a particularly high standing among the Toreador. They mostly see him as just another one of Annabelle's playthings, a passing fad that she has since discarded and not worthy of their attention. They consider his obsession with combat to be gauche they consider his love of dance to be sur to be only surface level appreciation of the arts as he doesn't have the patience for many of the other things that Toriador enjoy and you know that outside of his own clan the other clans consider him as a Toriador to be air-headed and flighty and not really anyone who has any right to command attention. Miles as he holds the saber in front of him and he says, Go ahead, I'll grant you some last words. He looks at you and with a flourish he says, Oh, yes, indeed. One of the greatest ballet dancers Chicago has known. Another thing Annabelle took from me. I can never show my face among the people I once loved so very much ever again. She took me away from that world, never to return. 
make a manipulation subterfuge check and I will roll it with his composure and resolve. Which he has quite low of, actually. Well, that's five successes there. That is five successes to his three successes. You do two points of superficial willpower damage to him, impairing him. His mouth turns into a snarl. He looks at you and he says, That is Sophia, not I. She is the one who turned our dancers into smut. I will show them all and I will start with you. He raises his blade and he rushes at you and he is impaired. What would you like to do? very well your bones snap break apart as your body begins to morph into its combat form Brett Stryker is going to make a rouse check that is a failure he goes to hunger 3 as he uses his blink ability he runs so fast his body becomes a blur quickly closing the ground between you and him and then he raises his saber like a practiced swordsman and a flash of uncertainty on his face he strikes at you with it you may make a fighting check or a dodge check yep hunger three just like him critical for seven successes very well he's going to roll that is five successes for him he rushes towards you in a blur raising his sword swinging it at you but you duck and then your beast cowed by the encounter with the priest before suddenly roars back to life it roars angry that this this pathetic Toreador would think he can best you. And so as he swings his sword at you, you reach out with your still muscled hand, grabbing his arm and bending it, throwing him to the floor. Slicing with your claws. Slicing with your claws. Yeah, raking them across his face as he goes down, dealing four points of superficial damage to him. He rolls onto the floor and quickly climbs to his feet, and then a look of sheer anger and disgust on his face. He locks eyes with you, attempting to use his dread gaze. Would like you to. Uh, yes, I'd like you to please make a. I'm just going to double check believe it is a uh, dread gaze it is a composure plus resolve check and he's going to make another rouse check that is a failure for him he goes to hunger four 
six successes, very well. So he's going to... So he's going to rouse the blood. And that is a pass. He adds three dice to his pool. Giving him eleven. And he rolls eight successes. Let me just read... Uh, dread gaze. So... You see his face twist into the mask of something demonic. His eyes flash bright yellow. A sickly, a sickly yellow you've never seen before that pierces your soul. And... Okay, and... Your beast. You feel that sense that it's recoiling again, but not completely... You were not brought to the. You were not brought to the edge of frenzy, but you have no desire to attack him, and may only act in your own defence. Right, what would you like to do? However, you can spend. A, you can spend two willpower points to make any action against him. Ah, lovely. So you turn and run. I'd like you to make a dexterity athletics check. Okay, he rouses his blood, passes, and as you run, you hear his footsteps behind you. Tap, 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 getting faster. You glance over your shoulder and you see him rushing towards you in a blur. He reaches you and raises his sword. Would you like to make a... Would you like to make a dodge check, please? Uh, dodge is athletics. Oh, yeah, yeah, athletics, yeah. Dexterity? Dexterity, athletics. Or you can spend two willpower points to fight back. Uh, I rouse blood, I pass. Yep. Three successes. Okay, he brings his sword down. Six successes. You feel the blade searing the flesh off your back, and you stumble forwards, taking five points of. One point. Oh, well, you've got your armor, don't you? How many points of armor? Four. Four. Yeah, you take one point of superficial damage. Barely the tip of his blade pierces your flesh and then it hits bone. You feel it scrape against the bone. Then behind him you hear him growl. Your beast roars within you. His dread gaze has passed. You may turn to face him if you wish. Or you may continue running. It is up to you. Um, I'll make it like I'm running and when I get to my two jerry cans, I'll hook one with my long claws and fling it at him. Oh, nice. Okay, so you continue running. Uh, I'd like you to please make a dex athletics check. Uh, five successes. Five successes. He rouses his blood to use his blink once again, and he rushes towards you. He does pass the rouse, however, he only gets two successes to catch up to you. Meaning that you reach your car first and are able to pull the door open, grab the jerry can, and as he raises his sword ready to strike you with it again, you turn around and fling it 
towards him. Uh, please make a strength fight, a strength brawl check. That's the blood. I pass three. Uh, that is three successes. Three successes, very well. He raises his sword and then brings it down with a snarl. Seven successes, dealing one point of superficial damage as his blade once again scrapes against your bone carapace. You leap forwards and splash the jerry can and swing the jerry can forward, splashing gasoline all over him. He barely seems to notice or react. He is so intent on taking you down. There is only a momentary reaction where he stops in his tracks. Enough to register what has happened and then raises his sword, snarling again. What would you like to do? Uh, I remember the cigarette lighter I bought earlier. Yep. Cigarettes. You're gonna fling it at him? Well, when he comes close to trying to strike me, I'll light it in his face. Ooh, nice. Okay. So he rushes forwards, raises his sword, and he's about to bring it down again. Reach into your pocket, pull out the cigarette lighter, hold it up, and press your finger down. Please make a willpower check. Willpower? Willpower check to avoid rock to avoid um rock check. Rock shrink. Uh, yep, he's going to roll. He is impaired. So that gives him a Default one dice pool only. He gets one success, but that's not enough. He's about to bring the sword down. You see his yellow eyes grow wide. He opens his mouth and roars. And then instinctually recoils from you, raising his hands in front of his face to protect himself from the flame. And then he drops the sword and clatters onto the road. He turns around and hissing move begins to run back towards the church. Sure, I'll leave back into the door. Yes. And I continue the work I was doing, which is barring the door so nobody can get back out. You hear Brett screaming <laughs> as he runs in a blur back to the church, grabs the double doors, foists them open and barrels through. On the other side of the threshold, you see a you see a leather-skinned man in blue robes look up, and as he sees Stryker charging in, he opens his mouth to say something. As you step forwards, push the doors shut and slide the spanner between the door handles. Within seconds, someone, within seconds, you hear someone pounding on the door from the other side, see the wooden panels vibrating, and then you hear a voice say, What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, you start sloshing petrol in front of the door, you hear the banging, and inside, on the other side, you hear Brett just shrieking ah, ah, in terror you hear the sound of cracking wood knowing that he, giving you the impression that he's tearing apart the pews and then you hear a gravelly voice say I command you to unlock the door and let us out now 
the Lady of the Lake will destroy you if you do not. The person behind the door continues banging. Bang, bang, bang. You finish doing a full lap of the church, coming to the door once again, the last of the gasoline sloshing out. You throw the jerry can aside. Behind you, you hear Bell Butler calling out, Zamisi, you are one of us. Serve the Lady of the Lake. Things are greater than Sabat or Camarilla. The Strix are coming, and only they will save us. If we show them our servitude. You press the button on the lighter and just as the door breaks open, just as Bill Butler rouses his blood, summons enough strength to break through the wood, splintering it, you toss the lighter over your shoulder and walk away from the church. Instantly, you hear a whoosh of flame Rising up behind you, you feel the you feel the thick heat buffeting you from behind, and instantly Butler is cut off, his voice replaced with the sound of both him and Stryker screaming in agony as the flames engulf them as they try desperately to escape, but cannot. And then as you walk, as you walk further across the lot, back down to, back down towards the edge of the street where you parked your car, the screams of the two stop, and then four more voices join the cacophony as the thin bloods left within begin to scream their final screams. Please add a stain. You reach your car, the flames of the church reflected in the driver's side window. And you pull open the door, slump in your chair, breathe a sigh of exertion, pull the door shut behind you. I call Annabelle. The phone rings once, twice, there's a click, and then you hear Annabelle saying... Make sure the stake is in place. Wrap that sculpture around his neck and leave him on the roof of the museum so that he may see the sun. Darling! How goes the hunt? Dealt with. Dealt with! She says, Unfortunately, no vampire dragon to Elysium. Ghouls. Stealing the vitae of those that are better than them, so that they can feed their addiction. Your child was a victim of them, has met his final death. I apologise. His final death? There is silence for a few moments, and then, to your surprise, you simply hear her laugh, and she says, Well... Ballet dancing fell out of fashion a decade ago, 
I suppose he'll be no great loss. And darling, to be perfectly honest, you have done you are everything he was and more. She says, very well. No one to bring before the prince, but I shall have my people go to the address you gave me. Oh, it's Ashdown. Oh, she says. <laughs> Even better. I shall send them to gaze upon the rubble, the smouldering ruins, so that they know what happens when one crosses a primogen. Yes, sir. Well enough. Toriador clan now has a vacancy, and uh, I will be vetoing candidates myself after this. But between that and the events you told me have transpired tonight, I don't think anyone will be crossing the Keeper of Elysium any time soon. Press the button. Rings for only a second. And then the, lol, the lilting voice of Windy Wade comes through the speaker. I'm hearing on police scanners that there is an unexplained uh, conflagration in the south side. Apparently some church has gone up in flames. She says, was it Bill Butler? Regrettable, she says. He was of my pack. I was hoping he could be redeemed, but when I heard that he had become obsessed with this thing in the lake, my hopes faded. Oh well, no loss, panda trash. She says, and thin bloods? She says, hmm. Ah, well, I must confess, I expected at least one of them would become another keg. Very well, she says. Is speaking of the real thing, Annabelle's child. Dead, she says. Not diablerized? The blood leeches, you hear her say with contempt. Yes. Yes. You'd think the death of their primogen would and put them in their place, but no, that woman who replaced him, Eric, though, seems to be even more determined than her predecessor to find some fault with you. This is perhaps a good choice.
There is silence for a moment, then you hear her laugh. And you say, <laughs> Oh, oh my sweet child, if only you knew. One does not need to slay a primogen with their own hands to slay a primogen. Did you ever wonder how Prince Loden fell? Perhaps that is a story for another time. She says, well, you have done me well. You have cleared up a loose end. That clanless trash will no longer be in place to interfere with my plans. His own actions will no longer bring Camarilla's scrutiny upon me. And so, while you have not brought... While you have approached me empty-handed, you have not... She, she, she says, yes, yes. She says, I was... Part of me was hoping you would take the initiative to perhaps... Perhaps... Gain some more power. A better place. But... No, you... Yes, we're right. Perhaps, as a Macy, who is not brought up in the ways that the Black Hand is useful after all. The way you go about things is certainly very different than my methods. Lucend is gone, and I am back to square one. I can continue undermining this mewling prince in my own way without any of the primogens sniffing around, trying to chase silly little cults and serial killers. She says, you've done well, I will remember it. Make sure Annabelle does not start to see you for what you are. There is a click, and she hangs up, and then you turn the key in your ignition and begin the long drive back to your haven. I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Three successes. And so, as you turn the key in the ignition, begin to make your way back to... Begin the long drive back through downtown, across the overpass, and back to your haven. In the, in the rearview mirror, you see the pillar of black smoke emanating from the blaze that was once the chapel of all scents. An inky blackness rising up darker than the night sky around it, almost like a tear in reality itself. And there, just before you turn the corner, just before this great plume is obscured by yet another row of run-down facades, you catch a flicker of movement within the pillar, a single wisp of smoke 
that breaks apart from the great edifice and begins to morph, coalescing into the shape of a bird with glimmering yellow eyes. It seems to know you can see it. It looks right at you. The same yellow eyes you saw on Breathstriker's face peering into your soul. And then it spreads its smoky wings and takes flight into the darkness. That concludes this session. You gain two experience points. In addition, you gain one dot of status with the Camarilla. As word of Annabelle, as word of Annabelle's newfound confidence surges through the Chicago kindred, as she regales Elysium with stories of her Zamezi lover who is far more reliable on his own than any Toreador, a valuable addition to the Camarilla as she subtly levy as she subtly levels threats against others, talking of those who disappeared after crossing her, those who Alexander Borker was the last to see. The rest of the Camarilla begin to develop a grudging respect for you. This status dot will never count amongst Tremere, but for the purposes of the rest of the Camarilla, everyone knows that for whatever reason Annabelle picked you, you are incredibly valuable to her, and furthermore, that you are not one to be fucked with. Thank you everyone for joining us. This was an enlightening episode. It carries many implications for the rest of the campaign. What are the Strix? And what plans do they have for Chicago? And where do Alexander's loyalties lie? Shall have to continue watching to find out. Until then, when the Toreador Primogen presents a toilet seat for a sculpture, do not question its artistic integrity. You'll find it wrapped around your neck as you awaken as the sun rises, staked to the roof, knowing that among Chicago's kindred, among all kindred, appearances are deceiving for what appears to simply be an insufferable gossip. A delicate lily is actually one of the oldest and most dangerous vampires in the city. Goodbye, everyone.